Today, I want to bring a special message to you on resolutions. Christians often uh, set goals or make resolutions, sometimes for physical needs, sometimes for work goals or financial goals. And those can be good. Those can be godly. But I want to talk to you today about personal growth in Christ. What are some resolutions that every Christian should be looking at, should be considering, should be thinking about and setting goals for this year? So I want to bring a special message from different places in the Bible on how we should set those goals and especially the main ones we should have. I can't tell you every single resolution you should think of, but I can give you three general ones that we should all be working towards this year. A good passage to read on this is 1 Corinthians 9. If you'll go there, 1 Corinthians 9, and I want to show you that goal setting, aiming for something, is not a bad thing. It is a biblical thing. It is something that the Apostle Paul himself did. And you'll know that since we've been covering the beginning of Romans, that he intended to go to Spain. He had set a goal to go to Spain. Now, he didn't know when that was going to happen, but he did set a goal. And he also set a goal to come to see the Romans. He wanted to go there. God had prevented him from accomplishing that goal. But it was his goal, it was his resolution, you might say, to go to Rome. And so he talks about this in general in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Paul writes to them, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So notice in the passage there, just the language of running to win the prize. He's aiming at something. He has something out there on the horizon that he is going towards. That is not a bad thing. That is a good thing. The Apostle Paul is doing that. Now, the problem we have sometimes is we get distracted and our our goals and resolutions aren't for something that is godly. And so we need to be focused on things that are godly, things that will help us to grow in Christ. Notice he says, I'll run in such a way as not without aim. He has an aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. He's not literally a boxer in the Olympic Games or a race runner in the Olympic Games. He's just saying, look, everyone knows that when you compete, you strive to win. You're headed towards the finish line. You're looking to win the prize. And we are going to win the prize with Christ, to be with Christ forever. We need to persevere, grow in our sanctification, and we need to aim towards something. You know the old saying, right? If you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. The Christian life is one of striving for godliness. Not constantly being legalistic on your own self and others, but striving in your own life to grow in godliness. And you don't want to just sit back and be passive this year in the Christian life. You don't want to sit back and say, well, I'll just see what's going to happen. Now, true, God's sovereignty will play out whether you want it to or not. But we have to be striving for growth in godliness. A huge impact on our sanctification is what we do in life. 
in Christianity. Listen to what a great 18th century preacher and theologian said, Jonathan Edwards. He was 18 years old, and he wrote a list of 70 famous resolutions which would guide him in a pursuit of godliness throughout his life. So this wasn't just for one year, but his whole life. And he wrote 70 of these, and he reviewed them often. Here is one of them. Just his, his preamble, really, before he gets started. He says, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. So he recognizes God's sovereignty right away. But he says, I do humbly entreat him, God, by his grace, to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. And then he says, remember to read over these resolutions once a week. Once a week he did. That We review our godly goals once a week. And, and he says, look, it's God who's helping me do this. He's not denying God's sovereignty, but he's saying, if these are for Christ's sake, then God will bless me in them as I seek to grow in Christ. So resolutions are good for the Christian. These are good things if we direct them towards godly purposes. Since it's the day after New Year's, I just want to give you three resolutions for your personal Christian life. We could talk about church goals and resolutions. We could talk about Many different things that we could aim for. I want to give you three today that you can implement this year and hold yourself accountable to doing them throughout the year. So you should have others. My family, we sat down yesterday. Uh, we went through physical. We went through financial. Even the kids had their little savings account goals. That was good, but we also had spiritual goals. And those were the first ones that we looked at setting for the year. And we also looked back over the past year to see if we've met the ones we set a year ago. So three resolutions today. First of all, and I wrote these sort of in the way that Jonathan Edwards might start them. Number one says, in 2022, I will read my Bible with a specific goal of completing a large portion or all of it by year's end. Now, I wanted to say all of it. I wanted to say you must read your whole Bible in one year, but that wouldn't be good to do because there's no specific command in scripture. I do think it's a very good idea to strive to read your whole Bible in the year. But I can't command you to do that. It's not in scripture. That is a good thing to do. Read your Bible every year. I think it's a good practice. I think it'd be very wise. But it is not commanded if you want to choose the New Testament, if you want to study one or two books in particular in depth throughout the year, that is perfectly good and godly as well. The key is Set a goal on what you want to work towards and get started reading the Bible. Jonathan Edwards, resolution number 28, he says, Resolved to study the scriptures so steadily and constantly and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. He says, I'm going to study the scriptures so steadily, so constantly, so frequently. That I'm growing and growing and growing in the knowledge of the scriptures. How many of us have been believers for years and not read through the Bible once? Or, or maybe even as often as we need to. We've read once and sort of checked that off, but not continually gone through the Bible. There is a lot in this book. There is a lot in this book. Mine is close to 2,000 pages by page count. And so to read that every year, it would take decades to really get my mind even around all that's there. And even then you can study it in more depth and see more every year that you're a Christian. 
the Bible is a book that God gave us to grow. God gave us to grow and learn. It was written to God's people. He gave us this book to grow in our knowledge of Christ, in our knowledge of Him, and in sanctification. Speaking of just the Old Testament, Paul writes in Romans 15.4, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Think about that. The Old Testament was written for our instruction, for Christians today to grow. So that, he says, through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. The Old Testament itself can encourage us. Reading the Bible teaches us about God and it encourages us throughout the Christian walk. When Jesus rebuked the devil, what did he say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How can we rebuke the devil if we don't know every word that comes from the mouth of God? And I don't mean shout at the devil. I guess you could do that in your own home if you decide to. But I mean knowing how to resist temptation, knowing how to resist the attacks of the devil. We need to know Scripture to do that. If you read Psalm 119, the whole psalm is about the Word of God. And, and Psalm 119.18 says, Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. He prays, Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from your law. This is a, a prayer that God would open the eyes of the psalmist, of the reader of Scripture, so that he might behold what is there in the word of God. Also, verse 11 from Psalm 119. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There again, we see the idea of knowing the word of God so that you can live a holy life and not be constantly stumbling into sin. Peter, when he writes 1 Peter, he describes it like this. He says, like newborn babies. Like newborn babes. We're just little babies who need to long for the pure milk of the word. So that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. 1 Peter 2 verse 2. You should actively long for it, he says. If you're a Christian, if you tasted of salvation, if you have been saved by the Lord, you should long for the pure milk of God's word. It's a desire. Okay, I didn't read the Bible today. One more day, I didn't do it. I'm longing to get back to it. I'm feeling this pressure to get back to God's word. Longing for the pure milk of the word. As Bible-believing Christians, we've got to love God's word. So much that we want to master the Bible and be mastered by it. It's not something that passively, passively will be absorbed into our hearts and our minds. We've got to actively read it. Read it. Maybe memorize it if you're able to do that. Memorize it. The little kids memorize verses every week for Adventure Club. And it's great to see them come in on Wednesday nights and just read off these verses. I wish I would have done that when I was their age. How many verses would already be up here in the head? You need to read the Bible so you can see the overarching story of God's plan for his people. You've got to read it from front to back. You've got to read it from front to back. Who created all of this? The world is in a big uproar about that all the time, right? Oh, how did this molecule happen? And evolution, all these different things that they're using to attack God's word to attack Christian belief. 
It's right there in the beginning. It's right there in the beginning of the Bible. Oh, there's a lot of debate about how the world's going to end. Is it, is it going to be greenhouse gases? Is it going to be climate change, global warming, uh, COVID? It's right there at the end of the Bible. It tells us everything we need to know to grow in godliness and really so that we won't be anxious every day of our life, always worried about what's going to happen. We need to know God's plan. It's not a book of separated stories. All the books of the Bible, when, they, when they're put together, they tell the story of God's plan to save a people for his own possession and how he's ruling over the creation in his image and then all, all about the Savior, Jesus Christ. You might remember a few weeks ago, I went through that passage in Numbers. And there were things there that I had never seen before as I studied that passage. So many connections backwards and forwards in the Bible. Those are the kinds of things that you see the more you read Scripture. And in fact, we often neglect the Old Testament. It's one of the reasons we do the Bible studies on Wednesday nights, mostly covering Old Testament books. Because we don't get into the Old Testament enough as New Covenant Christians. And that's two-thirds of our Bible. How well do you know two-thirds of your Bible? If we were to give you a quiz on the historical books of the Old Testament, how well would you do? Would you know who these names are, why they're important? We need to understand Scripture. We need to read it. And we need to apply it. But you can't apply what you don't know. Everybody's often talking about application, application. True, we do need application. We can't just read it, put it in our heads, and forget about it. But you can't apply what you don't know. You've got to know it first before you can apply it. So reading the Bible is not just for preachers. It's not just for super Christians. It's for every believer. Now, there was a time when Christians didn't have a Bible. And if you didn't read your Bible every day, it's because you didn't have one. But as soon as Bibles became popular, as soon as they became printed, especially by the printing press, but even by hand, if you could get one, Christians were devouring it. They were reading it. Yes, they heard it in church. Come to church, hear the word preached, hear the word read, but read it in your everyday life. Jesus was very God himself. And he said, man must live on the very words of God. Listen to Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. This man, a godly man, delights in God's law, God's word. And he thinks about it and he meditates on it. And the day and the night, it says he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Read God's word so you'll grow, so you'll produce fruit. Can you imagine 20, 30, 40 years of reading the Bible over and over? What is that going to do for your Christian life? Where will you be in 40 years if you did that? Think about that. And there are many Bible reading plans that help us. We, we got a lot of help out there. In fact, yesterday we put up on our website many Bible reading plans under the resources tab that you can go and you can choose one to follow. Just a guide, something you can print out, stick in your Bible. Uh, my, one of my favorites is the Machane Bible reading plan where you read through the New Testament and Psalms twice and the Old Testament once. There's the canonical plan, which is pretty much just straight through the order of books in our Bible that we have today. There's a five by five by five plan where you take a couple of days off a week 
and you read five days a week. There's the chronological Bible reading plan, the historical Bible reading plan, the table talk Bible reading plan by Ligonier. And for those who really want to get through it quick, there's the 90-day Bible reading plan, and even harder, the Grant Horner's Bible reading system, which takes you through multiple books multiple times in 90 days. There's all kinds of help out there to help us. I need help. I need to be reminded every single day, okay, what passages do I need to read today? How far do I need to go to get through my Bible in a year if that is my goal? And don't get into the, the habit of just checking off boxes, you know, flying through the passage. You can read the Bible quickly even and still pick up a lot. Still pick up a lot. It's not necessarily an in-depth Bible study that you're doing if you're trying to get through it in a year. But at the same time, don't just read through to check off boxes. Stop occasionally. Think about what you're reading. Think about what the chapter as a whole said. You know, in, in the sermon, often as we go through Romans, for example, we're looking at a couple of verses, sometimes one verse, sometimes just a phrase. Sometimes in the Bible study, though, on Wednesday night, we're looking at bigger sections, a whole chapter. It's okay to just think about what the whole chapter is saying, or two chapters, or three chapters. We don't have to get out our dictionaries and study every word every day, all the time. You'll never get through the Bible in a year. We need to stop and think about what we're reading, though. We just need to stop, read a chapter, stop, meditate on it, think about it briefly, and then read the next chapter. Here's what Spurgeon said about people who don't stop when they're reading the Bible and just keep on mindlessly going. Charles Spurgeon said, Now, do not be satisfied with merely reading through a chapter. Some people thoughtlessly read through two or three chapters. Stupid people for doing such a thing. He says, look, that's silly. That's stupid. It always is better, he says, to read a little and digest it than it is to read much and then think you have done a good thing by merely reading the letter of the word. For you might as well read the alphabet backwards and forwards as read a chapter of Scripture unless you meditate upon it and seek to comprehend its meaning. So yes, move along if your goal is to read the Bible in a year or or New Testament in a year or whatever. But also stop occasionally and think about what you're reading. Come to church. Get the verse-by-verse exposition of the Word on Sunday. There's Bible studies. There's classes that also go into different levels of depth into Scripture. So set a goal, set a goal, you pick it, but set a goal to read a portion of Scripture this year. A second resolution, a second resolution that goes really along with this. In 2022, I will have fellowship with God through regular and extended prayer times. This goes along with Bible reading. This goes along with your growth in godliness as you hear from God's Word. He's speaking to you. And now you speak to God through prayer. To grow in godliness, our time here, that we're here on earth, must be filled with prayer, a rich prayer life. Jesus taught his disciples about prayer often. In Luke 18, 1, to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. At all times. Now we've looked at what it means to pray unceasingly. It doesn't mean every second of every day. Obviously, you're not always praying but you're ready to pray at any time. You're stealing moments throughout the day to pray to the Lord. And that's what he says here. At all times, they ought to pray and not to lose heart. There's a lot of things in our life that make us want to lose heart, that make us want to give up, that make us want to feel depressed. And Jesus is saying, go to God. Take it to the Lord. 
Take it to the Lord. Cast your cares upon him. And Luke 11, it tells us that it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, that his disciples came up to him and one said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Prayer is so important that they see Jesus doing it and they want to learn how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. And that's where we get the Lord's prayer. Prayer is vital. It's essential. It's necessary in the Christian life. I can't tell you how long you should pray or even how many times a day you should pray, but I can say confidently from Scripture, you must pray as a Christian. It's not even an option. We must pray to our Heavenly Father. It's the companion, really, of our Bible reading. I mean, that's a great thing is just to add it to your Bible reading time. Stop as you're reading the Bible and pray or finish your Scripture reading and then pray. Pray back what you just read. Pray from thoughts and ideas you had from what you just read. Pray your prayer list. Keep a journal. Prayer is essential. That's why the reformer John Calvin said it's the chief exercise of faith. We can't just read our Bibles and then go off with our day. We can't just read scripture, check a box and think we're done. We need to come to God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that prayer was the highest activity of the human soul. We take God's word in by reading scripture and then we Pray it back to Him as we speak to Him. And we give Him all of our cares and anxieties. And we ask His help. And we petition Him. And we intercede for others. And we pray for the church. And we pray for our church leaders and all the members. And on and on. Pray for others more this year. Pray to God for all the things that we worry about. That we fuss over. Prayer is at the center of all true godliness. If you want to be more like Jesus, then be a man or a woman of prayer. He was a man of prayer. He always was praying. In fact, he often tried to get away from the crowds just to spend some time in prayer. That's why Paul says in Colossians 1.9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you. Paul gives this idea of unceasingly praying. Be devoted to prayer, Romans 12.12. 12. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. We pray for you always, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11. James 5, 3. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. He doesn't say you must worry. He doesn't say you must fret. He doesn't say you must figure all things out. But he does say you must pray. If someone is suffering, then pray. Go to the one who can heal. Go to the one who can bring comfort. That's God. Prayer is simply a request sent to God. You can adore God. You can praise Him in your prayers, and you should. You can give thanksgiving. You can confess your faith to Him. You can confess your sin to Him in prayer, and you should. You should petition Him for help, intercede for others. Make a prayer of submissive commitment to do God's will and many other types of prayers. Those are just a few ideas that you can use in your prayer life. Why don't we pray more regularly, though? What's the real reasons we don't pray as much as we should as modern-day Christians? Well, sometimes people say, I don't feel like praying. And we've all experienced days where we don't feel like praying. There's days where we don't feel well physically. There's days we don't feel well emotionally, spiritually. And we just think, you know, I don't want to pray today. And I don't want to give God something that's not my full heart, that's not my desire. 
But just because we all struggle with praying some days doesn't mean that we're justified in not praying. Pray anyway and make that your first prayer request. Just say, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to start this prayer today. And as time goes by in your prayer, you'll often feel a greater desire to pray. But even if you don't, it's not about feelings. God has commanded us to pray and we're to do it. And we can pray about how we feel. Lord, I don't feel like it. Help me, help me, help me to pray to you. Sometimes uh, people say, well, this is legalism, Pastor. You're, you're telling people to pray every day. We're all free to decide when and if we should pray. So they'll say it's, it's legalistic to set a prayer time even every day. Where is it in the Bible that I should get up every morning and pray? Well, it's not commanded explicitly, but we do see examples of people praying in the morning. Sometimes it's three times a day like Daniel. Sometimes it's all throughout the day like Paul. But it's not legalistic to simply follow the commands of God. It's in the Bible. It's commanded. That's like saying it's legalistic to eat today. It's legalistic to sleep. It's legalistic to drink some water today. Now, those are necessities. Those are required. Those are things that we want to do to stay alive. Well, prayer is like that. It's not at all legalistic. It's necessary for a healthy spiritual life, just like food and water is and sleep. They, these are the nutrients that we need to survive. Well, prayer and the Word are nutrients we need to survive in the spiritual life. When Jesus came to the disciples, did He say, if you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father? What did He say? When you pray. He assumed they're already going to do it. When you pray. Go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your Father. Now the real reason, it's not legalism that we don't pray. It's often not because we don't feel like it. The real reason we don't pray enough, that we don't pray like we should, is because of distractions. We're just too distracted. Most of us are too distracted. We'd rather chase an easy distraction than go to the Lord and spend any kind of time in prayer. We can spend hours watching TV, movies, texting, blogs, Facebook, Instagram, and then say at the end of the day, I just didn't have time to pray or even read my Bible. Get alone to pray. You've got to cut out distractions. A Christian life isn't just a battle against all these sins that we're often thinking about, but also the sin of laziness. The sin of laziness. Just Cutting out the distractions. When Jesus had all these crowds, he fed 5,000 people. Then he sent the crowds away, it says in Matthew 14, 23, and went up on the mountain by himself to pray and be alone. It is godly to be alone. You don't have to be around people all the time. You can go and be alone and pray. And you may even have to tell people, no, I'm not able to do that so I can spend time alone with God. That's godly. That's what Jesus did. 5,000 people he sent away so he could pray. Let's get alone and pray. Let's, let's clut, uh, cut out all the distractions, everything, all the clutter. Let's stop watching the clock all the time. Let's rein in our wondering thoughts and spend time in sweet communion with our Holy Father. So let's say, husbands, you take your wife on a date. You don't bring the TV, put your phone on Facebook, you don't get all distracted and never speak with your wife. It's not going to be a healthy marriage. We need to have a healthy relationship with our Father in heaven and focus on 
him. So put it all away. That's why people do it in the morning, because they get up before the kids, before the noise, before the emails, before the distractions. What would it be like in 2022 if you committed just 30 minutes in the morning to prayer? Or maybe an hour. You know, in seminary, in this prayer class that we had, one of the requirements was we got up every day and spent an hour in prayer for a whole semester. And that really changed my life and my prayer life. What if we did 30 minutes a day of prayer? Spent time with God, communion. That would be life-changing. Here's what the old preacher J.C. Ryle said about prayer. He said, the subject of prayer ought always to be interesting to Christians. Prayer is the very life breath of true Christianity. Here it is that religion begins. Here it flourishes. Here it decays. Prayer is one of the first evidences of conversion. Neglect of prayer is the sure road to a fall. It's the sure road to a fall. We've got to read the word. We've got to pray to our God. And number three, in 2022, I will read more Christian books than I did last year to aid my growth in holiness. Read more Christian books. Now hold on, pastor. That's not in the Bible. Is that in the Bible? I know the Bible and prayer is, but come on. Christian books? Well, it is in the Bible. I'm going to show you in a minute. But I'm not saying these are more important than the Bible. The most important book you should read is the Bible. If you truly only have 30 minutes a day to read, most of us have a lot more time than that, and we cut out some things. But if you truly only have 30 minutes a day to read something, then read your Bible and come to church. 30 minutes a day, read your Bible. It is the most important book. That's why we started with it this morning. But there are good reasons to read other books. Go with me to 2 Timothy Chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4, Paul is writing this letter. And it's the last letter he's going to write. He's in prison. This time he's in prison for the last time. He's not going to get out. He knows his death is coming. He says, I fought the good fight. I've run the race. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. He looks forward to being with Christ. But look what he says in 2 Timothy 4.13. This is interesting. He knows he doesn't have much time to live. He's not sure when he'll be executed, but he knows it's coming. And in 4.13 he says, When you come, Timothy, Timothy's coming to see him. When you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas with Carpus. So he wants to be warm. He's cold there in his prison. And the books, especially the parchments. There it is books. So what kind of books then are we talking about? Well, literally the word here is scrolls because that's how they wrote books back then. They didn't bind them up. That happened much later where they they made a codex where they could put pages together and bind them. But at this time they were scrolls. So he's saying bring the scrolls, especially the ones that are made of parchment. Those are the ones I really want to see. He knows he's going to die. But he still has breath. He still has life. He still has time to study and read and grow and teach and use all of this material that he's asking for. And he says, especially the parchments. These are likely the Old Testament scriptures because he puts emphasis there. He says, especially those. And parchments would be the more expensive material at this time. This is likely here the Old Testament or parts of the Old Testament. 
Because as he's praying, as he's reading, as he's teaching those who can come and talk to him in prison, he wants to make sure he's always staying scriptural and citing the Old Testament. But he doesn't just say, bring the book singular, does he? He doesn't just say, bring the parchment or parchments alone. He says, bring the books plural. So there's other books that Paul used in his ministry. There's some other books that he wants Timothy to bring to him. What are they? Well, it's not the New Testament. Most of that hadn't been written. Or if it had, the letters that Paul had already written, he might have copies of that. But it's not likely he's just asking for copies of his letters he's already sent out to the churches. The New Testament has not fully been written, not fully completed. What are these books? Whatever they are, they're valuable to Paul. And they help his ministry. And so some speculate, and this is likely true, included in here are early copies of the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. At this time, there are little booklets. We might call them tracts or pamphlets going around that are recordings of some things that Jesus said and Jesus did. And so these get spread around, and, and Paul's saying, bring these so I can read over them again. They're not inspired scripture. They didn't make it into our Bible. But you might think of it as you take a book of the Bible and you just wrote down a few paragraphs, a few pages. You got maybe occasional word wrong here and there as you're copying it out. And then you gave it to your friend. Think of that. And we know that this is the case because in the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke 1.1, he says, Many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us. So Luke says, look, many people have been writing about Jesus and about what he did and what he taught. I want to set the record straight. Luke says, I went around and interviewed all these people, and I am writing the gospel account of Luke. So we know that these books are being spread around at the time. And they're just early Christian books, we might call them. Early Christian books. Not the Bible, but other books that Paul is saying, please bring to me. Also, very interestingly, Paul cites some pagans whenever he preaches and whenever he writes letters. Three times He cites pagan poets. Now, the reason he does this is just to say, look, even your own people know this truth. Even your own people know that there's a God that gives us our life and breath and being. That's what he says in Athens. When he writes the book to Titus, he cites a poet there. And also, 1 Corinthians, he cites one of the pagan poets. So why do I bring that up? Well, he may have said, bring some of those writings so I can look at them and see if I can convince my guards here in the prison. They're pagans, and their own prophets and poets even say, look, and he would point out the basic universal truth there. So we don't know what Paul is asking for, but here's the point. He is asking for the books, and some of those are not the Bible. They are Christian books. We need to be like Paul. Bring me the books. Even if I have one month left, even if I have five years left, 40 years, the rest of my life, bring me the books. God Use whatever is good and godly to grow me. And even if I have to read some of the ungodly worldly stuff, let me use that in the terms of apologetics. Here's what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon again on this passage. He says, we are quite persuaded that the very best way for you to be spending your leisure time is to either be reading or praying. You may get much instruction from books, which afterwards you may use as a true weapon in your Lord and Master's service. Paul cries, he says, bring the books, join in the cry. Now Spurgeon read six books a week. 
six books a week, and remembered everything he read, and years later, he could open a book and say, oh, here's where that quote I mentioned was. He had that kind of memory. Six books a week. Christian books, commentaries, Puritan books. Think about the Christian life. What is it that we come and hear in a sermon? We hear a trusted preacher proclaiming the word, helping us understand the passage. Often, that's what a lot of Christian books are, aren't they? Good and godly books that open up the scriptures for us. Read those. It's like getting a sermon throughout the week in printed form or or audio form if you listen to books. There are many good books out there. Many. The Holy Spirit is not just in this generation or in this church. The Holy Spirit has blessed a lot of teachers and preachers and authors with godly thinking, godly sermons, godly writing. And we can learn from those as well. It would be really nearsighted if we only learned in our own little circle and never went outside of that and read a book from someone else. There are many good books. Yeah, there's false teaching out there. You want to stay away from those books unless you're trying to study what they say to help somebody who's caught up in that. If you go into a lot of bookstores today, most of what's in the Christian section isn't all that Christian. It's better used to start a fire or dumpster fire. But... There's also an embarrassment of riches out there. There's so much good and godly stuff being printed that help us worship, that help us love the Lord, that help us grow in Christ. This has been the case from very early on in church history. Christians have been writing things down to help other believers understand the scriptures. So think about what subject you need to grow in when it comes to the Christian life. Maybe something that will help you know the Bible better. We just talked about Bible reading. Maybe you need a good book on just studying the Bible. Maybe you need a a book on prayer because you're not yet where you want to be in prayer. And most of us aren't. Maybe you've never been taught really how to pray and what to say and and how to structure a, a good, regular prayer life. Maybe you need to study theology. Maybe you need a, a book on biblical doctrine. Maybe you need to improve how your family worships the Lord or how your family is a godly family, or your marriage, or your parenting, or your sanctification, or your holiness, or your fight against a specific sin. Maybe you want to read on church history and get encouraged by examples of godly men and women that went before you. Maybe you want to read on some current cultural issues and how they're affecting the church and how they're affecting the gospel, the government control over churches, gender confusion, critical race theory, woke Christianity. All of those are making inroads into the church. Maybe you need to get up to speed on some of that. I can't tell you specifically, unless you come and ask me, uh, what you need to read. But there are good and godly things you can and should read to help you. I can tell you personally, Christian books have been such a blessing to me in my life. Uh, I can just think of a few. like Early on in my Christian journey, men like John MacArthur and reading The Ashamed of the Gospel and The Truth War. And it just woke me up to false teaching and even even the silliness of seeker-friendly church movements and how I wanted to be in a good and godly church. I think of R.C. Sproul's book. If you've read R.C. Sproul's Holiness of God, who can forget his exposition of Isaiah 6 and how he just goes through there and makes you desire to be more holy because God is holy. I think of Arnold Dallimore's book on Spurgeon, The Life of Spurgeon. It's one of the main reasons I went into ministry. There's all of these books, if you've been reading Christian books throughout your life, that 
you can recall. A.W. Pink's book on the sovereignty of God. Frank and I went through that when he first had any desire to teach. And now here he is, an elder teaching in our church here. So there are so many blessings that can be had. Four years ago, I I preached a two-part series on 10 resolutions about four years ago in our church. And I remember talking about reading books. And here's what I said at that time. I said, pray that, Lord willing, as our giving increases, we'll have a small bookstore in the back where you can pick up recommended books and use them in your walk with the Lord. Well, God answered that prayer a long time ago. We've got a large bookstore. My wife was saying, there's so many books in there. And I said, yeah, we need more. We need more room for for more books. Uh, They need to be there when you're ready to grab them. Good, trusted books. You can't go to the Christian bookstore. There's not hardly any Christian bookstores left. Have you noticed that? So we want to provide some of that here uh, for members of our church. Well, look what God has done just over the last year in your life, if you've been practicing these things. Look what God can do as we move forward. Set some goals here. Decide what categories of books you want to read, maybe what types, what number of books you want to read. Set some goals for your Bible reading. Set some goals for prayer. This is a good thing. It'll help you grow in Christ. As I said, there are many other resolutions you could make, but these three are good ones to aim for. I want to read just in conclusion here, Philippians 3.12. Listen again how Paul talks about setting his eyes on the prize. Now the prize is Christ, but there are things that Christ wants us to do to grow in godliness as we focus on him, as we run the race. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's set some resolutions. Let's go after them. Let's grow in godliness. Let's press on towards the goal that Christ has set for us. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that encourages us as we start a new year. I pray that we might dig into the word, that we might pray over it, that we might read some, some good and godly books that help us in our growth. Grow us this year in Christ. Individually, we want to be better Christians. We want to, we want to worship you more. We want to deny sin in our life. We want to strive for holiness. We want to Put to death those temptations that constantly come back in our heart. We want to love our neighbor as ourself. We want to be giving. We want to be merciful. We want to be graceful. So much that we could each work on in the Christian life. Give us your grace to do that. It can only happen through your grace and through your power. We don't claim any of it. We simply ask that you would help us to do these things. Put a fire in our hearts. A desire in our minds to go after these goals. In Jesus' name, amen.